This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Taylor Durham, the play-by-play voice of the Elon Phoenix. He's entering his 14th season in the booth and has an interesting connection to Vanderbilt football that you guys will definitely enjoy. With the Phoenix rolling into the Music City for a 6 o'clock Central Time kickoff on ESPN+. We dive into Elon's expectations this season, their quarterback situation, the experience on defense that they have coming back, Vanderbilt's keys to the game, what we want to see on offense and defense for Vanderbilt as opposed to what we saw last week against Hawaii, and our final score predictions. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Commodore Nation, let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to the door report the premier vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold commodore nation anchor down Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 175. It is a Thursday night, September the 1st, when we're recording. This will be posted Friday morning, the 2nd. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. They are family-owned and operated for more than two decades. Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors since 1995. Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service, growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. They are located in Winford Avenue. That's 2505 Winford Avenue in Berry Hill. You can call them at 615-356-0303 or log on to their website, that's alacofinewoodfloors.com, Alaco Finewood Floors, serving Middle Tennessee's hardwood flooring needs since 1995. Well, I mean, we're right in the thick of it now. College football. I mean, you know, we we liked it was back last week, you know, and and as a Vanderbilt as Vanderbilt fans, it's like, okay, it, it it's it's back, but it's like this week, man, it's back. Like it like it's it's really it's all the way back now. Um, so it feels feels really good to, to, to be talking college football. Well, unfortunately, though, we've got to start with some bad news for the Vanderbilt football program after the breaking news segment. Daniel Martin and Maurice Edwards dismissed from the program. Um, you know, we're not going to get too deep into it, but, you know, definitely talk about the hit that that takes, you know, for the freshman class, but also the team this season. I mean, we, we both think those guys were both going to play this year. Um, but we'll we'll also preview Elon Taylor Durham, the voice of the Phoenix, will join us uh, for the interview portion. He was phenomenal. He, he was a tremendous guest, and uh, he, he gave us all the information we needed on Elon. So we, and not like we can even talk about Elon 
even close to the way he was talking about Elon. So we'll, uh, we'll preview Elon to the best of our ability, but pay more attention to Taylor Durham when we're talking about Elon uh, in that regard. Yeah. Wake Forest is actually playing right now. And I think we are both very excited to preview and read websites of power five programs. And I think that me and you, that is going to make our job a lot easier to find stats. We're not manually calculating as many stats, manually calculating roster turnover like (laughs) we did week one for Hawaii. And uh, we did not do quite as much this week for Elon. Not that we are even possibly looking past an FCS opponent, especially this FCS opponent who has a lot of returning talent and is probably more talented than the FBS opponent, Hawaii, that Vanderbilt played last week in week zero, Billy. So that's something that we get to in segment two with Taylor. It's crazy. Who would have thought after last season that that it's just weird. The FCS team that Vanderbilt played one of the best, and then they Mm -hmm. play a Hawaii team, an FBS team that, would probably be very low if they were in the FCS level. <laughs> like they they looked very much like mid-tier FCS team. at best. Mid-tier FCS team. We like we like the tier talk in in the FCS. Uh but Vanderbilt is facing a probably mid-tier FCS team. I mean Elon is not ETSU. They're not last year at least. They're not last year's ETSU, but they're also not bottom of the pack FCS. Like this is a formidable FCS. Yeah, they're they're a sidestep down from ETSU. I mean, they they were ranked in the preseason top 25 in Athlon Sports in the FCS. Uh, they were in the others receiving votes in the coaches poll at the FCS level. So this is a this is an upper echelon uh, FCS like program, but I don't think it's it's quite up there. It's probably what ETSU was expected to be yeah. last season, and ETSU turned out to be a lot better than their preseason expectations and being a national championship contender being in that top 10 a lot of the season so this eon team is probably teetering on that top 25 probably that 25 to 40 range of fcs teams this year but they have questions at the most important position and that is quarterback and that is something that we get to as well in segment yes. two taylor because yeah. i don't think that we can break that down as well as he did no, no. We will touch on as much about Elon as we can. Uh, their quarterback position is interesting. They've got a transfer who played really well last season for a Montana mm-hmm. State team that was pretty good. So uh, this is a step up. We'll, we'll, we'll say that. This is a step up from last week's opponent. <laughs> and uh, we'll continue to dive deeper into that. But Taylor Durham, the voice of the Elon Phoenix, will join us a little bit later. Before we get to the preview segment, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the Elon preview. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, I feel like we always get we always have a little piece of news before we actually get to the preview of uh, hopefully this well news like this stops, hopefully that stops, but uh, you know, maybe one one show we'll just have a full preview. No, no news, and uh, well, tough news here. Just really Especially tough. this kind of news. Yeah, we definitely don't. We could take other kinds of news, but not this kind of news. Uh, Daniel Martin, four star linebacker and three star running back, high three star running back. Maurice Edwards have been dismissed from the Vanderbilt program. 
This was uh, earlier this week that w- it was announced. Uh, Coach Lee put out a statement in quote, Maurice Edwards and Daniel Martin are no longer part of the Vanderbilt football team. We take pride in having the highest standards as a program and in doing so ensure that it is a privilege to be a part of this team. Well, as I see that, you know, I, I don't know that the way Clark Lee handles this is rare. I mean, I think, I think when it comes to it, there are differences between Vanderbilt and, and other SEC programs. Um, and I'm not going to try to dive into, you know, what happened because we have no idea. We're not, we're not going to get into that, but at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, it's, it's like, this is, there are standards and there, there is, there is a bar that, you know, coach Lee expects his players to, to act. And, and there's a way he expects his players to act and not only perform on the field, but off the field, that's just as important to coach Lee as it is on the field. So if anything will, uh, you know, I, it's hard to look at the positive here, but at the same time, Clark Lee is building something and you can't have, you, you know, you can't have stragglers. You can't have people that are, that are, that are acting a certain way, not, not holding up to your standards. And I think most coaches in the country would, would, would do the same thing um, in, in a situation like this. Now I have no clue what happened, but at the same time, will it just sucks. It, it, it sucks for, for the players. It sucks for the team sucks for the fans. Um, you really just hate to say it. I mean, there's, you hate to see it and there's just not, there's not a whole lot else to say other than there are standards that coach Lee, uh, would like his players to uphold. Yeah. Maybe we will hear something leak out. Maybe there will be some other report once they both transfer to their next program, because these two guys are very talented and will end up somewhere. I don't know if it's going to be power five, probably not sec, but I would guess that they'll end up somewhere in, in, in a position and we'll see them on the field somewhere, uh, depending on what the violation was. Don't even want to get into whether it's a justified be whatever it could be, because Clark Lee seemed pretty pissed uh, when yeah. he talked about it in the press conference. And so uh, at this point, he's not going to say anything. The team's not going to say anything. It's just he set this precedent with Marcus Bradley. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one of the highest rated recruits in the history of the program. He was kicked off the team for a rules violation. And now you've had it uh, with Daniel Martin, another one of the highest recruits in program history, another top 300 national player, another four-star, and then a high three-star running back as well. So I don't have any issue with it. It's how he's going to coach the team. There's no point in even evaluating it further. It's just inside that locker room, once you've set it, there is nothing – a team will 100% buy in if you kick off talented guys and if you take kick off anyone that doesn't necessarily buy into whatever it is, and this is any team, we'll get behind that. But you have to apply that evenly, and there can't be favorites associated with it. Obviously, the guys that have been booted off the team are very talented guys that had a lot of hype around them coming into Vanderbilt and especially Daniel Martin, I know that that's someone specifically that when I went and watched the spring game that I was there to watch and Jacob Scholl specifically, man, and had talked about quite a bit going into this year as a true freshman that we might even see on the field in a few of these games. So definitely disappointing. I uh, was hoping to see those guys contribute, if not this year, at least in the near future. But unfortunately it doesn't appear that way. So neither Marcus Bradley or Daniel Martin, the highest two recruits, uh, that have come in in the past five or so years uh, have not played one snap at Vanderbilt. So that is just the news. That is the facts. There's no other information out there. Yeah. And uh, anything else that is actually reported, uh, we will go into. But anything else that you hear is somebody just guessing 
on Twitter right, right. now. So yeah, anything it, else like that is just rumors. Yeah, and it all started uh, when they didn't they didn't dress in Hawaii. I mean, they didn't get, they didn't dress against yeah. Hawaii. So you know, there was kind of the the thought of that, but we didn't. I don't think anyone expected it to come to this. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, good luck to those two guys uh, in their future. And Daniel Martin and Maurice Edwards both. One more thing on this, Will, before we get to the Elon preview. Coach Lee was asked about um, this situation from Ario Gerson. It was a really good quote. I know you probably saw it, but uh, Coach Lee said, well, first thing, it's never a fun aspect of a good day when you have to make these decisions, hard decisions. I'm not going to go in more depth beyond what was said in a statement. We consider it a privilege to be a part of this program, and we have the highest operating standards here. Uh, and then he continues to say, with respect to what it means for us moving forward, this program is going to be fine. We're not defined by any one individual within the program. We found success as we've realized the collective effort required to win. And so we have a lot of guys in the locker room that we can lean upon that are going to step into roles that will help us moving forward. So, some, some, I mean, anytime Clark Lee talks, it's, you know, there's some realization and there's some weight to it. You know, really, no matter what he's asked, that's what I love most about him. Um, and you heard it right there, Will. I mean, um, you know, he, he he admits we're fine. You know, and and that when you, it's when you get into mur- murky waters is when you know you treat players, you treat certain players differently. You know, and and you know, I'm not naming coaches, but you know, we've seen this several different coaches around the country where they will favorite, they will have play favorites. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's a positive spin to this. Obviously it sucks. There's, it's, it's pretty much all negative. I mean, these two guys were talented hits, you know, talented players and it's a hit to the program. Um, but at the same time, will, you know, that I, I think there is a positive spin that can be taken. So uh, Daniel Moore and Maurice Edwards, no longer a part of Vanderbilt football. And uh, you know, they're going to go forward without them. So, and it starts without them, but started against Hawaii. They didn't have them there, but, Vanderbilt moves forward to Elon on Saturday. Elon Phoenix coming into the Music City. It's a 7 o'clock Eastern time kickoff. That'll be on ESPN Plus and SEC Network Plus. Will, oh, man, what, what, where do we start with uh, with Elon? Um, their quarterback position, Will, is interesting. And, you know, this seems to be where we start at, uh, at every school uh, because, you know, it's a quarterback position. But Matthew McKay is a transfer from Montana State. He's a six foot four guy. He's played a lot of football. He's a redshirt senior, so he's an option. But Joey Boffman, also an experienced player, and um, you know we we were talking to uh, Taylor Taylor Durham earlier, and he he talked about how Boffman has some experience. Like Boffman is, is a guy that has played a lot, and, and you know can, can get some things done. Um, Will, but at the same time, Elon is a team we talked about mid mid level tier. Uh, you know we both think FCS team. Um, but at the same time, they 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 went six and five last year, and they went six and three. I think Taylor said in their conference, and it's a pretty competitive FCS conference. Um, so, well, real quick, looking at their their depth chart, they've got some beef up front on the offensive line. I mean, six seven, six three, six four, six one, six four, six one, three hundred pounds. I mean, they're all that's that's better. It's it's better than I expected to see. I mean, it's not. So is Hawaii. It's. It's it's not it, but Hawaii in Hawaii on the defensive side you saw guys you know 220 230 pounds they've got 290 up front 263 so um, 295 also so this team I think is overall as a whole bigger than Hawaii they're better than Hawaii this is going to be a step up and it's going to be more of a challenge and I'm I'm most interested will to see how is there a hangover is there a hangover you were in Hawaii for a week and you know yes it wasn't a vacation. 
but I'm sure there was uh, there was some time spent almost acting as if it was a vacation on certain at certain times of the day, and you know because you're in Hawaii. I mean, so at the same time, I don't expect there to be a hangover, Will. But this is Team Two; it's second year for Clark Lee. We'll see. We'll have to see. It'll again. Each week is 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 intriguing, but this one for me, I talked about it before before we even started this season. This is what I'm more interested to watch, not going into Hawaii, not the Hawaii game, but responding after Hawaii and going into Elon. So I'm interested, Will. I, uh, you know, I'm more confident now as opposed to, you know, where I was before the Hawaii game because of what I saw against Hawaii. Uh, but at the same time, Elon is a step up. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of where I'll leave it. Yeah, until this team, until this Vanderbilt team proves me wrong, there is – no part of me that's worried about a hangover, not being focused, whatever it is. I, I don't think that this team in particular has any chance of going into this game, not laser focused on this game. I mean, this has to be something as a redemption game, these first two weeks to come out and send a message to the rest of the conference across the country that this is a different team from last year and that going down the stretch of last season in a tough stretch of games that they improved week in week out and were better and better and better as the season went on, especially when Mike Wright became quarterback and you saw this team get bigger and stronger and faster. I know they were playing Hawaii. They are still bigger. They did not have the size in the O-line they did last year. Gavin Schoenwald was not 6'4", 250. These guys are bigger. Mm -hmm. This Elon team, the biggest part of them that is a step up is really not the offensive line, offensive side of the ball. You know, Hawaii had playmakers. Hawaii had some size on the front. It's really on the defensive side of the ball. They return, I think, eight or nine starters on the defensive side that was number one in their conference in the FCS and red zone defense. They were four and two on the road last season. It's an experienced group coming back. So this is this is an Elon team that's definitely better, and they actually have some continuity coming back. And that's something different that Vanderbilt hasn't faced. Vanderbilt has continuity this year, but they're not playing an opponent that's completely up in the air and playing together for the first time. And so that's the first thing is you're not playing a group that by the time you hit the second half, they're completely out of plays, uh, new plays that they're comfortable running just because they haven't had the amount of reps together that you need the Ceylon team, especially on the defensive side of the ball is going to give Vanderbilt a little more trouble. I think uh, than Hawaii was able to. Yeah. Hawaii looked like one of the slowest teams I've ever seen. Um, so it, I think it's pretty obvious. Elon's going to be a lot faster, um, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit bigger, uh, but from a whole, they're going to be more organized. They're going to have better chemistry. Uh, they're going to have better leadership. Their coach is in their fourth season um, at Elon. And, you know, like you said, will continuity, I mean, Hawaii had none of that, you know, I mean, Timmy Chang, a first year head coach and, you know, first time everything for Timmy Chang and, and most of those players for, for that matter. So, um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm interested, Will, I, I still expect Vanderbilt to come out and do similar things, you know, as they did against Hawaii. Um, but it will be interesting to see, how does Van, you know, how different, like, is, is the size advantage, like, because the size advantage is what I look at. The size advantage against Hawaii was almost varsity JV. I mean, it was, it, it was varsity JV. Is that the same against Elon? You know, is that, is that the same? Does it look like that? Is Elon, how much faster is Elon as opposed to Hawaii? You know, I, I'm, 
I'm, I don't want to, I want to know how bad really was Hawaii. And we'll realize it, you know, Hawaii throughout the rest of this season and same with Vandy. But the next week, how does Hawaii also respond? Western Kentucky coming into their place. So, you know, we're both of these teams, Vanderbilt uh, and Hawaii, I think that obviously Vanderbilt demolished them, but I'm interested to see um, how, how different Elon is than Hawaii. Obviously continuity is there, Will. So um, that's really all I have, you know, next to nothing on Elon. Um, you know, that looking at the depth chart, like you said, Will, I think their defense and their experience is noticeable. Um, you know, they've got senior, senior, senior at linebacker. Um, you know, yeah, they've got, they have nine starters back. Yeah, so they've got some they've that's... got some experience in the secondary as well. Um, offensively, too. They they've got some receivers, uh, senior, sophomore, senior at, at the starting spot. So they've got returning production, um, other than their quarterback, Davis Cheek, a guy who broke records at the school. I mean, it was phenomenal. And he I think Taylor told us he he was uh, picked up by the Carolina Panthers. So mm-hmm. Davis Cheek, that that's a bit that's something big in this one. I mean, your first game without your quarterback that was do it all, you know. For Eli. it reminds me so much of the team that lost Kyle Shermer, and I mentioned it during the interview where they were returning all this talent from a team that, other than the quarterback position, is theoretically going to be it completely improved from last season and expecting a better win total except the quarterback position. Yeah. They have the transfer in just like Vanderbilt did with Riley Neal, and they have the incumbent guy that sat underneath, and we'll see if it works out better for Elon than it did for Vanderbilt with the talented group around mm-hmm. uh, the quarterback there. But I, the difference is between – the main difference on the offensive side of the ball, the, the only thing is I didn't see a lot of talk about the running back position, and that's something very different for Vanderbilt. Facing ETSU last year, they had to deal with Quay Holmes who was mm-hmm. probably, regardless of FBS or SCS, one of the best running backs in college yeah. football last season. So you don't have to deal with that with Elon. Their offensive line is bigger returning experience. But, man, he certainly didn't mention any running backs there. And that's something no. that typically within an FCS program is a very is, is a very heavily talked about position because that's typically someone they've been able to get that's transferred down. Uh, or has you know been a three-star that committed locally or something like right. that. So that was kind of weird is that you haven't really heard anything about the running back position and everything that I read of previewing the Elon season, I uh, was saying there wasn't much being brought to the table right. for that uh, running game. So we'll see how that works out, which means they'll have to rely on a quarterback without much experience or any experience at that current school. Uh, you mentioned the transfer in from Montana State, but it's different when you put on different colors under a different coach, in a different offense, in a different state. I mean, it, it's a very different environment. So we'll see how that works out for them. And hopefully for Elon after this game, it works out better than the transfer end from Riley Neal did for Vanderbilt in 2019. Yeah, not not the best experience there uh, for Vanderbilt fans. There was some <laughs> hype going into that season for Vanderbilt standards. Um, and then three, three wins, I think, uh, went down. So... Uh, but yeah, Will, running back position, you're right. Uh, a couple of redshirt freshmen there starting at the depth chart. So uh, it usually it's pretty nice if you're a quarterback, look behind you, you've got a, a reliable, you know, experienced running back. Elon doesn't have that. My gut, again, tells me, I, I did predict it right. Shager did start against Hawaii. My gut this week tells me it's going to be McKay. Um, and I think you'd agree with me. I, you know, I, don't, I just don't know as much about Boffman. Boffman has been in the program longer, so maybe they go with experience in the program. Uh, but Talent-wise and production-wise, outside of the program, McKay, uh, he was nine and two, uh, or Montana State was nine and two. He had 17 touchdowns, three interceptions after playing his first couple of seasons at NC State. 
Um, so this guy, and he's six foot four. Uh, I heard he can run a little bit too. So uh, it'll be interesting if McKay does start. That's a different. I, I, that's he's a different type of quarterback than Boffman. So uh, maybe well, he mentioned Taylor mentioned in the interview portion that regardless of who starts, that they're both uh, going to play. Coach had mentioned that they will both play, which right. I love to hear that because that just means that neither of them have shined. Right, right. You're a big two quarterback system guy. Big, big fan of the two quarterback system. So, uh, I, when it, that's never a good sign for me. Show I, me one that's worked. Point, I, point me to one that you point to a really good football team in the past from anyone's team that you say, wow, I'm glad that we played two quarterbacks. It just doesn't make any sense. It, it, it never has worked. I don't understand it. And any coach that comes in and said they both, done great things in camp to to earn snaps on the field that's complete coach speak that just means that neither of them have performed well enough to earn the starting job and they're both still competing for it so that's obviously what's happening here with elon in my opinion that's a good sign for vanderbilt yes i would agree and uh we'll have to see who goes out there either boffman or mckay matthew mckay and we asked taylor about that he gives us a lot more information (laughs) Well, uh, let's roll into keys of the game for Vanderbilt. Um, You know, for Vanderbilt this weekend, very similar to last weekend. I mean, Hawaii and Elon are the two probably most similar opponents for Vanderbilt on this schedule. For me, Will, I've got a couple. uh, And and when we get to Wake Forest and SEC opponents, we're going to go back to our normal three keys of the game for each of us and getting into more of a structure. Um, Don't know if this is even really needed for this week, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, So I got a couple, Will. Number one, start fast start faster. Uh, Vanderbilt was not able to start fast really at all last season. And they didn't start fast against Hawaii last week. Um, You know, I think they need to develop that this year sometime, you know, whether that's against Elon, Wake Forest, I think that's, that's enough. That's kind of, I don't know about the next step, but that's a pretty big step to take in the trajectory of, of this program. So I think they need to start fast, whether that's through the air or on the run, I don't care. I think they need to start fast in order to not dominate the game. I think they're going to win either way. I think they're going to dominate either way. But that's a good sign for the fans. It's a good sign for recruits there. It's a good sign you're starting fast. It, it, the fans there, that, I mean, that, you know, obviously it's not going to be the best environment, not, not going to be the best atmosphere. But you do have your students, your, your students there. You do have your home crowd coming back after a win at Hawaii. Let's excite the crowd a little bit. Let, let's, let's, let's start fast on offense and be aggressive on defense, create some turnovers, and then boom, maybe you're up two scores, 14 nothing. Elon's out of the game. So less stress in the first half, less stress throughout the whole game. So for me, that's my first one. We'll start fast and start faster than last week because they really didn't at all. They did need that flip to be switched. They got it, but you can't always require, you can't always lean on that flip to be switched, especially against an opponent like Wake Forest. You know, I think you cannot afford a slow start against a team like Wake Forest or any other SEC team for that matter as well. So you look confused, Will. You said switch. You said flip to be switched, switch to be flipped. That's why I looked confused. But you stole my did, first key did, as well. Did I did I say switch to be flipped? Yes, you did. You can yeah, you can go back and oh, listen wow. to that later. Wow. But it's, it's uh, yeah, you I'm definitely sorry. did. It's it's fine. Yeah yeah, we're all we're all scrambled here in the brain. Uh, recording segment one after segment two, everything's backwards here. But you stole my you stole my <laughs> key one. Uh, I'll just add on to it and say specifically wanting to see more explosive plays and not necessarily just 
seven yard touchdown runs down the sideline, but things like the 27 yard pass that was completed to Gavin Schoenwald, um, the long crosser, that's things that we didn't see last year, long developing explosive plays or even quick explosive plays, just the eight to 12 yard burst. That's what was missing from this offense, more McGowan involvement. So just explosive plays specifically, but yeah, starting fast. That's something that this team is still yet to do under Clark Lee. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would, I mean, Vanderbilt's offense wasn't, I don't know that we even saw what it's going to be like this whole season against Hawaii. I mean, they just did what they had to do. <laughs> they ran the ball pretty much the whole second half. So yeah, I'm with you on that too. Um, kind of a different, you know, different looks and different, different plays. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure we will see those because Elon's a better opponent. Well, for me, number two, I've only got two. Um, my second one, special teams. Um, you know, we didn't get a chance to see much of Hayball. Vanderbilt punted once, I think, in the whole game. Uh, so, you know, we 65 did. 65 yards. Too. Yeah, 65 yarder, just a bomb. Um, I want to see a little bit more of Hayball. You know, I don't, I, Vanderbilt will probably have to punt a few more times than they did against Wyatt. I don't, I, don't think have, I don't think they'll have to punt a whole lot. Um, but I want to see a little bit more of him and, you know, Bolivis as well, because special teams is going to be so important this year uh, in, against a team like Wake Forest, against a team like Northern Illinois. You're going to need Bolivis. You're going to need, uh, you're going to need Hayball. So, you know, I was, I was going to go defense, but we know what this defense is going to bring. You know, I mean, week in and week out. I mean, you know, Nick Howell, Coach Lee, and everybody. I mean, th those, those are the hyenas. We know what they're going to, we, we know what they're going to do out there in the field, but. I went unique here, Will, special teams. I want to see more of Hayball selfishly because he has a monstrous leg, but also Joe Bolivus. You know, we didn't see – we saw him in extra points. And I think he – did he kick one uh, field goal against Hawaii or no? I don't think – I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think he did. So, uh, just Bolivus and, and Hayball because, Will, I honestly think those two guys, that group, top five in the SEC. I mean, Hayball's an NFL – I've heard Hayball's an NFL leg, and if Joe Bolivus plays to his potential like we know he can – He's 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 as solid as it gets. So um, getting a little creative there. I want to see I want to see more from from special teams. But at the same time, it's hard against uh, an FCS opponent to even do that. Yeah, I'll tack on to that. Cleanly fielding all the punts uh, mm -hmm. today that or or this Saturday against and Elon. I, that would be nice. And then that's not rooting for our team to send the special teams unit out there more, Billy. So your your key <laughs> number two is rooting for more punts and more field goals. I won't go there. The, the main thing that I want to see is the defensive line and getting pressure. And and that's something this team, even as good as they were defensively at creating turnovers, and they did it again against Hawaii, they still didn't create a ton of pressure. Uh, against Hawaii from the defensive line. They had three sacks, Miles Capers and that's, had one. That, yeah, that's big. I mean, if I know Hawaii's offensive line was was, you know, they were they were serviceable. Um, but that's the worst team you're gonna play. I hundred percent agree with you on this, Will. There's mm -hmm. got to be more push. Yeah. And then seeing that and then just getting more involvement from the receivers. This is the game. This is the time to tune up before you play Wake Forest in Northern Illinois. So this goes alongside your start fast. This is the game to work on some stuff. You got your big score out of the way and it would be nice to do that again. I certainly uh, would be thrilled with another score similar to the Hawaii week zero victory of 63 to 10. But this is the game to get Shepard involved, get some rhythm, get some more rhythm going with McGowan, get uh, some passes going with Bresnahan, Schoenwald, who were involved but not extremely involved last game. Uh, get some screen passes, get some timing worked on. Th this is that game. 
So starting fast, like you said, defense creating turnovers, all of that is going to play into the ability to work on the timing of things and getting guys more involved. Because even though Shepard had two touchdowns against Hawaii, he definitely wasn't uh, a very key component of the offense uh, as far as just pure targets are concerned. There's a level, there's another level that we can see Mm -hmm. definitely from Will Shepard. That's that's not the Will Shepard we're going to see. We're going to see more from Will Shepard this season. Don't ball given to him more, hopefully. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, Will, I mean, I'm going to talk about this every week, but Mike Wright throwing the football, um, you know, gradually you, you talk about spreading it out, but, you know, do we see do we see different looks? Do we see a seam throw that, that we like from Mike Wright? Do we see a beautiful deep ball? Um, I don't know. You know, Mike Wright's not the, the type of touch passer that, that you think of in the SEC. Um but he replaces that with his legs. So that's yeah, pretty – There, uh, there pretty are also very, play. very few guys against any opponent that can do what Mike Wright did, mm-hmm. especially – this is any I position, think much got, less the quarterback I, well, position. I think he got against Hawaii. I, I Oh, my God. Like, that that run on the sideline, I know blocking was great, but against air, 22 miles per hour. There were a couple – there were a couple guys that had from the Hawaii secondary – that had angles on him. And these are still college athletes. These are still FBS football players on scholarship at Hawaii. I know that they're down and a lot of guys transfer out, whatever. These are still, these aren't just schmucks running out there. And he made them look like me and you just strapped on shoulder pads and we're trying to chase him down. I mean, they looked like they were running in quicksand. So <laughs> Mike Wright, maybe limit the amount of times that you run against Elon, uh, save a little bit of that for the upcoming opponents, but I would love to see you scampering down the sideline for another 87 yard run. Oh, well, I'd love nothing more than just to oh, see that yeah. play again, oh. just replicate it. And and he can definitely do it against Elon. He can definitely do it. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's uh, I had two. got to get our three. predictions. Yep. Oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not skipping predictions. I yeah. almost did. <laughs> yeah. You almost I, did. I, I almost did. Well, but uh, let's get to it. I feel like we need a prediction sponsor. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, getting, getting used to a Laco, but uh, Will, let's get to predictions. Um, I'll start here. I'm going to go, you know, I haven't even thought about it a whole lot, but I'm going to go Vanderbilt. I think they put up at least 40. I think Vanderbilt puts up, I think Vanderbilt puts up 45, 45 points, and Elon scores a little bit more than Hawaii, 17, 45 mm. to 17. How you like that? Very story? similar to the meeting in 2011 that oh. Vanderbilt had with Elon, 45 to 14, the Commodores won. Wow, wow. Uh, so I'm going to go relatively similar to that. I am going to go 41 to 10. We're 41, go 41 10. to 10. Okay, another 10-point so outing the, for the Vanderbilt defense. Yes, I think that Elon, I mean, I don't see the quarterback situation. That, that's the big portion for me is I don't see either of these quarterbacks being able to do that much. I think they'll be able to put together one drive, maybe two drives, but I just see the defense wreaking havoc again, similar to what happened against Hawaii yeah. and just confusing him with different looks. And then the offense, I think they'll work on a few more things. I don't think they'll send Mike Wright uh, on quite as many read options, and I'm hoping, hoping – hoping that we keep saying it to see that fast start that's that's what i'm going to be watching for that first quarter jumping out to a seven nothing lead early would be nice for once yeah and i I think that's what they're gonna do i think clark lee all week that's what he should be hammering on because they're gonna need a fast start against wake and they should probably practice having a fast start and niu is a 35 point favorite tonight 
Over NI, NIU is Northern Illinois was the wow. favorite over over uh, wow. uh, Eastern Illinois. So that is their FCS opponent, but it right. was a 35. The line that I saw for Vanderbilt, even though there was not a line released to bet in Tennessee, where did uh, you see the, this? Uh, the offshore lines, but <laughs> the offshore line I saw was uh, Vanderbilt minus 20 and a half. Really? Uh, the initial line that I saw. Wow. Yeah, but that's wow. obviously like that's not even on a site that. I have an account on because this is not a game that I, I bet this is a pretty difficult line for Vegas to set, especially after that Vanderbilt outing. You have no idea what talent level Hawaii has, which then gives you no idea how much talent Vanderbilt has. And you already have no idea how much talent Elon has because they're an FCS program. It's an absolute so nightmare. you just have all sorts of question marks. So it kind of makes sense that there's no line, but I'm kind of disappointed yeah. because Vanderbilt this year, I think, yeah, I think you could have uh, made a little more money like I did last week against yeah. Hawaii. Yeah, I think 20 and a half is, would be pretty accurate. I, I would I would go right there. You know, maybe more, maybe closer to 17, just because I don't know if they're a three-touchdown favorite over anyone yet. But I do see them winning. There's also a chance I made that up, too. Like, there's <laughs> also just I, – I don't know. We'll have to verify Byron's that. But I don't even, like, I don't have a source. I don't remember where I read it. I just remember 20 and a half. So let me, that let could me check just that website like real quick. Complete, By, completely fabricated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. That uh, that does it. Well, we got our predictions. I got 45-17. You've got – what was yours? 42 to 10 or 41 41 10? to 10. All right. Yes. 41 to 10 from, from Will. We will both be there. Saturday. What were our predictions last week for Hawaii? Um, I had what did I have? Oh, I had I had 28 to 10, I think. I think. Yeah. Or 24 to 10. I think it, mine was 38 17. I yeah. don't remember. 38 20. I don't remember. Somewhere in there. Yeah. I don't feel we we predicted decent. I points. didn't even think I didn't even think about giving Vandy 40 points. Like I I just did not – I did not see that coming. Yeah, we were off on the offensive output, but can you blame us from an offense that averaged 16 points last season? No. Vanderbilt leads the nation in scoring right now. 63 points. see that thing. Everything is right in the world. Everything the conference is right. I don't know. I think throughout the season, this after this Hawaii game, Will, we're going to be talking about this. Like, we're going to mention this game during every preview pod. Like, we're going to – It's just – We're going to – It's just so – It's iconic. How many times – I feel – like every single time Vanderbilt plays in the early Thursday night game or plays in the week, I think the week zero is new, but plays in that, they always lose. And so you always start out the year with a loss. Yeah. And yeah. you're just like going and you're watching Saturday and it's like watching everything through like a sad blue haze lens. <laughs> just like tears streaming down the window pane, even though it's <laughs> sunny outside because your team, like you're not even looking forward to anything. It's just over. <laughs> it's like you got out, you guys. got, you got Georgia Clemson. I'm not watching that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> Vanderbilt lost on Thursday. Yeah. I'm like punching air around my house. <laughs> but no, well, watching this Penn State Purdue game, Penn State just went seven, went up seven to three. Um, shout out James Franklin and that program, but, uh, but will one thing before we get out of here, that Purdue crowd, I did not, I mean that, that fan base and it, it's basically the size of Vanderbilt stadium, very similar. It looks like Vanderbilt stadium, Purdue stadium does, but they pack it. And so I think a Thursday night like this, this reminds me of Vanderbilt Ole Miss 2013, a crowd like that, seeing a bunch of black and gold in a stadium in, in a, a stadium like Vanderbilt stadium, but it's packed. And so getting back to that, I think Vander- Purdue's another program that I think Clark and Vanderbilt could model themselves after, like a Purdue, Wake Forest. I think Wake Western. Forest, Duke are the 
are the models. Stanford's just different because you're on the West Coast. You're yeah. just different. There's yeah. just different things that you're doing. Every, every Wake Forest and Duke are the two that have proven mm-hmm. it's possible. Granted, yeah. you're facing different issues uh, when you're in the SEC. So it's really not that comparable because their years that they uh, had eight wins would probably have been five, six wins seasons in the right. SEC, uh, which is funny to think about that those really aren't that successful seasons for them because they you just replace like two top 15 programs that are on Vanderbilt's schedule with uh, some teams that are on the level of like Missouri and South Carolina from last season onto the schedule. And you're like, well, no shit. They had eight wins in Vanderbilt uh, with Derek Mason was peaking at six. Wow. It's not really that their program is that much better, uh, but that's another point. Uh, you know, wait Forest, we're hoping that they can continue to have, well, not hoping. We hope Hartman heals. Like, that's the part that I have to keep catching myself, that he's out tonight. <laughs> uh, so that's another thing to keep an eye on. Is, is Hartman going to return? You don't want to look ahead of this Elon game, but that's going to swing whether or not that we go into that game feeling like there's a realistic possibility of, of keeping that one competitive. Yeah, and, and- because Wake Forest is a good football team, regardless of having Hartman but it does look a lot more winnable or at least it, it looks to be a competitive game. A when puncher's he's not chance in the lineup, yeah. a puncher's yeah. chance. Yeah. Yes. I like that. Yeah. And so, but will that's why this Elon game is big heading into wake forest week. You, you want momentum. Let You got to keep this momentum going, you know, say you struggle a little bit against Elon up oh, now hopes are a little bit down, but say you come out, you, you put up 40, put up 50 and just suffocate Elon. That Wake Forest game, look out. SEC Nation, week three in Nashville, 11 a.m. kick. All of a sudden, I think there's a little bit of buzz for that. And I think Nashville. Weird. 11 a.m. kick. 11 a.m. kick. The crowd should be interesting. Raucous. Yeah, it's going to be an absolutely electric atmosphere um, on West End next week. Um, Looking forward to it. But, Will, looking forward to talking to Taylor Durham. We already did. But for the listeners – what can they uh, be prepared for from uh, Taylor Durham? I know you you uh, you were in on the interview. Um, what uh, what did you like from Taylor? A very political answer, politically correct answer about the quarterback situation. He is the play by play. He's the voice guy. of the Phoenix. So we had we had to ask. He knew we were going to ask about the quarterback <laughs> situation. He made references to it at the beginning. Uh, but we did ask. He had his answer prepared, saying that he, he was good with whatever the coach wanted he had to it do. On his hand. Guys had earned the spot. Yep, he che- he looked down at his <laughs> cheat sheet uh, and 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 read that answer off. But the coach had said, "I'm forgetting the coach's name uh, um, coach for Tr- Elon Tr- there, Trishiani or something. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I know it's a longer name, but yeah. he had basically said that for sure both guys will be playing." So I, I don't know how He's, much and, to and, read in. And Taylor said this. I'm not breaking news, but he was breaking news for us. I didn't know. Yeah, that. for us, that was breaking news. Everything I had seen, you know, the press conferences maybe aren't covered quite as heavily. Uh, and as many articles are written when they talk about the quarterback situation in Elon, but that's just going to be pretty much everything to watch. I mean, it's yep. hard to give much more of a breakdown because you can kind of see that their O-line, it, it has some experience, has some size. They don't have much at running back. They have some experience at receiver returning, and they have an experienced defense returning. It's going to be pretty good. But it all comes down to that quarterback play because it's unproven. And we will know when we see I, – I don't know if they'll rotate possessions, but we'll probably see both of them at least in the first half. Uh, and that's going to tell us how the rest of the game is going to play out because you never really know what you've got with the quarterback until you see him actually take the field, take his first snap on a Saturday. 
quarterback that's that's everything in football you've got two quarterbacks and two somewhat unproven quarterbacks good luck especially when you're facing an sec team on the road so at night um so we'll have to see will it be boffman or will it be matthew mckay we'll have to see will i'm thinking boffman uh, or i'm thinking mckay rather but uh we'll have to see but before we get to um taylor durham he was great he was great will he's starting his 14th season uh as the voice of the phoenix on saturday night in nashville Stay tuned because he's got some Vanderbilt connections. I think you guys are gonna you guys are gonna enjoy. So uh, stay tuned. We've got Taylor Durham, the voice of the Elon Phoenix, coming right up here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time now to welcome in Taylor Durham, the voice of the Elon Phoenix. He is a 1996 graduate of Elon University, and he's starting his 14th season in the radio booth for Elon oh. on Saturday night. Um, Elon, of course, 6-5 and five last season. We'll be diving deep into uh, their, their season last year and what Vanderbilt fans can expect. But, uh, Taylor, th- thanks so much for taking the time tonight. Billy and Will, it's always great to be with you guys. Thanks so much for asking. Taylor, I want to start. Uh, you just told us about your brother. Your brother is Wes Durham. And, yep. uh, you know, I, I, I write it right away when you're talking about him. I had a few more questions for you. So okay. uh, Wes Durham, any, any, any sports broadcaster, I think, especially in the South knows who, who your brother is and, yep. and, uh, you know, just the impact he's had on, on, on not, not only college football, but sports in the South, especially with what he was doing in the ACC network. So, um, what, what kind of an impact has, uh, has Wes had on your life and, and kind of your path as a broadcaster? Well, Billy, I would start off by saying that first and foremost, he's he is one of my best friends. Um, I'm very fortunate. I grew up um, in Chapel Hill. We moved from Greensboro to Cary in 77, not to bore you here too much, but uh, and then moved to Chapel Hill in 84. And I was fortunate to grow up with two of my best friends being my brother and then, of course, our dad, who was the longtime voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels and uh, it grew up, um, didn't really know what I wanted to get into. I actually played junior golf. I spent summers playing the North Carolina and South Carolina junior golf circuit. And I think everybody in their life has an epiphany at some point that you're probably not as good athletically as you thought you were. And uh, mine happened at some point on the junior golf tour. And then Recruited to play golf at Elon. Um, the second epiphany came. Um, I qualified my freshman year. I played really well. Uh, we played a golf course from all the way back. Um, I played really well one afternoon, and I think may have broken 80. And the guy that I was with made it look really easy and shot 68. Whew. And I remember going back to the dorm that night thinking, okay, this may not work out the way that I thought it might work out at 14 and 15 years old. And so I was fortunate. Um, I got involved my sophomore year doing football and basketball games on the radio here as a, as a student. Uh, and my brother 
uh, has always been a great advocate. He's been a great count. He's been great counseled, um, but he's just been a guy that I can go to and talk to about a lot of different things. And um, as I said earlier, he is one of, if not my best friend. And I think the world of him, not only as a big brother, but just as a person. Taylor, you were talking before we got on air about a lot of different things, but we, you know, that, that gave us a few more questions, but tell the Vanderbilt listeners listening right now, of course, we got the game coming up Saturday night, but tell our Vanderbilt listeners about your Vanderbilt connection, a, a little bit of a Vanderbilt connection there. Well, this is my second time back in Vanderbilt Stadium, now First Bank Stadium. Obviously, uh, my third year doing the games, we opened there on a Saturday night as well um, and trailed by 14 at one point before Vanderbilt kind of kicked it into high gear offensively. But I was fortunate, Billy, in March of 2000, uh, I went to work for a company out of Winston-Salem called ISP Sports. Uh, ben Sutton, uh, uh founded the company and I still keep in touch with him and think the world of him and all of the folks that I worked with during the ISP days and now the IMG college days and now the Learfield days. And that's uh, who I work with over at Elon, not only in doing the games, but also on the corporate partnership side. And uh, I started in Winston, March of 2000, uh, working as their recruitment person for radio station affiliates. Uh, so I would travel to places like Hattiesburg, Mississippi with Southern Miss and New Orleans with Tulane and Waco, Texas with Baylor and the state of Florida with UCF and Nashville, Tennessee with Vanderbilt. And obviously Winston to Nashville is not that short of a trip, but when you're also trying to grow the property east of Nashville into places like Knoxville and Cookville and Chattanooga, where we had a station, uh, I would get in the car in Winston and uh, I'd drive through the state of, through the uh, volunteer state and through the state of Tennessee for about a week meeting with radio stations and just had an absolute blast and loved it and uh, got to be a, a network studio host during the football and basketball seasons with about four different schools, including the TCU um, and just think the world of it. And Remember a lot of the people from those days. Uh, Megan Molnar, who is now Megan Hinchin, um, Owen Scholl, um, Stacy Hall, who uh, was involved on the ISP side. Um, and then, of course, uh, the names of George Plaster and Joe Fisher and Kevin Ingram as well. It'll be nice to see Kevin briefly on Saturday night. Yeah, a lot of lot of names there ring a bell, and uh, the Vanderbilt ISP Sports Network rings a rings a bell. Oh too. yeah, no, I it mean, was yeah. Will Will and I both remember. I mean, I, I don't mm -hmm. even know how old I was, but the Vanderbilt ISP Sports Network, Joe oh, Fisher. Yeah. I mean, I had totally forgotten. So credit to uh, credit to you, Taylor, helping get that thing up and running, and <laughs> of course moving into IMG and now Learfield. So well, uh, I had let, well, well, I had a very very <laughs> small role. I. Uh, <laughs> You talk about getting it up and running, and I would tell you that not only a guy like Ben Sutton, um, but Joe Potter, Megan Molnar, Megan Henschen, Owen Schull, um, Stacey Hall, Chris Ferris, who, uh, overs who oversaw and still does all of our broadcast operations from Winston, and then, of course, um, with the voice of the Commodores in Joe Fisher. Um, I just I had a great group to work with. 
No doubt, no doubt. Let's uh, let's hop into Elon here. The Elon Phoenix uh, coming into Nashville Saturday night, uh, seven o'clock Eastern time. ESPN Plus is the channel. My first question here: This is not too much of a deep dive. I know Will's going to ask you more about Elon, but how common is it for Elon to face an an FBS opponent? And that may be a stupid question, um, but but do, do, would you say they face at least one every year, or does that vary? And if they do face one, how many? Is it one? Is it two? What uh, what what does that kind of whole scheduling process look like for an FBS uh, an opponent? Normally, Billy, it's one per year, um, and normally you've got FCS teams will play eleven games in a regular season, um, and you'll have one FBS game, uh, and then you'll normally have one game at home, and then one non-conference game on the road, and then of course the CAA. Um, as uh, eight league games uh, that will get started in late September. And um, so uh, Elon has tried to play FBS schools that are regional. Um, They've gone to North Carolina. They've gone to Georgia Tech. uh, They've gone to Duke. They've gone to Wake Forest. um, And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, they've gone to Nashville. They went to South Florida. They've been there twice. Uh, the Kurt Signetti years of 17 and 18, where Coach Trisciati was the defensive coordinator, uh, they went to the uh, they went to Ohio and opened up against the Rockets from out of the MAC in Toledo uh, in 17. So normally they'll try to schedule one per season, and uh, luckily it's worked out that it's Saturday night in Nashville. So. I don't know how familiar you are with Vanderbilt's football program. I know you're familiar with the Nashville area, but but especially recently. So how much did you catch of the Hawaii game last week in week zero on Saturday night, late Saturday night? Well, I caught a little bit of it live, Will. Um, I caught about the first half of it live. And then uh, I started Monday night. Uh, diving into not only watching the first half a second time, uh, well, really Sunday because we do our sit-down visit with Coach Trisciani on Monday afternoon. Um, So I started Sunday night uh, and got through the full game. So I think I've seen it uh, two or three times at different lengths. So Hawaii, obviously, if you've watched the game a few times, is not the strongest team this season, I don't think. And I, and I think they're going to have a tough time under first-year head coach Timmy Chang. But I think Vanderbilt has a specific, a, a specifically different view into this FCS game against Elon than I think that they normally would any other season, literally in the history of the program, after losing Clark Lee's uh, coaching tenure's opening game against ETSU to open up the 2021 season. So what do you expect this season from an Elon team that I know received a couple votes in the coaches top 25 was ranked in the preseason top 25 in Athlon sports. I know there are some expectations and some returning talent there. Uh, what side of the ball there with Elon? We'll, we'll start a little specifically here. Would you say uh, would be the strength? I know they have some guys returning on defense. Well, I would tell you that it, Anytime, Will, that you have 18 guys that are returning as starters uh, from the finale against Rhode Island last year, uh, you've got the depth and the experience that you're looking for. Um, Now, having said that, 
Um, every year is a brand new year. Uh, but there certainly has been positives uh, as it relates to coming off of the way that last year ended. Billy mentioned earlier six and five and five and three. And what I would tell you is arguably the toughest conference in the FCS. Um, and so the win two straight and the win at Towson and at Rhode Island and play spoiler really to both, especially to Rhode Island in the final week, uh, gave them some confidence heading into the offseason program, heading into the spring, heading into the summer, and heading to, into the preseason camp. Um, defensively, probably stands out a little bit more um, just because of one of the names that's no longer there offensively, and I'm sure you're going to ask me uh, about that name here in just a little bit, but defensively, you bring back guys like Torrance Williams and Marvin Pearson up front. Um, you bring back a linebacker group that's, it, it, frankly, probably as experienced as the linebacker group was in 17 and 18. And that's the thing that I think gets lost a little bit in the shuffle of what the FCS went through in the spring of 21. Uh, certainly wanted to play in the fall of 20. I think everybody wanted to play in the fall of 20, but the spring of 21 and that truncated and shortened season at the FCS level, there are a lot of young guys that got looks and a lot of young guys that played. Nick Velos being one of them, Bryce Graves, Trey Allsbrooks, um, and then of course, Devontae Chandler and Malone at the linebacker spot. You've got a group at that linebacker core in this 3-3-5 that is um, very, very talented. Um, now, the question will be Saturday night, are they talented enough to match an offensive line that I think has grown leaps and bounds with Coach Lee at the helm here the last two seasons? And I, obviously, you saw that Saturday night in Vanderbilt's ability to run the football. I know Billy wants to get to his question here, but you hit on something that I had written down already uh, with the matchup of the Elon defensive line against a Vanderbilt offensive line that looked improved against Hawaii. Do you think that Elon's going to, I don't know, send extra blitzes, bring in different types of packages with running that three, three, five and normally not having as much help in the run game? Well, let's see. You mentioned the, Improved offensive line for Vanderbilt. 6'5", 320, 6'5", 6'5", Left tackle, left guard, center, and all, by the way, right guard at 6'6", 310, and a right tackle, uh, maybe the baby of the group and a fifth-year senior at 6'4", and just 301 pounds. Um, and a so, tight end at 6'4", uh, 250. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a very stout group up front. Um Devontae Edwards in his first season as the defensive coordinator. Um, Coach Edwards was with the program last year. Um, a standout at NC State. Uh, played uh, in the NFL for multiple years. Most folks will remember him uh, on the Vikings roster. Um, so I think that it's a defense that has a core principle to it. Uh, but certainly having that depth and that experience you'll potentially see a couple of unique looks on saturday night will will mentioned it um you know just just a few seconds ago about how vanderbilt you know took a first 
first loss of the season last year was to an FCS opponent. It was ETSU, a team that was very good. They were one of the best FCS teams in the country. You know, we like to talk about tiers all the time in FBS and, and then FCS. You know, oh, this team is a mid-level FCS team, or this team is one of the best, or this team is lower. Where where does Elon sit this season? You know, not not as an entire program, but this season, where do you put Elon in uh, in the tiers of the S FCS? Well, I I probably don't look at it, Billy, on a national level uh, like that in terms of the tiers of the FCS. What I would tell you is that I think. Elon uh, is five and three last year in the CAA. Um, it is a different looking league. Um, I would not be truthful to tell you that it's the same league now that it was last November because, frankly, one of the members is in the FBS now in the Sun Belt with James Madison. Right. Um, so it's a different looking league. Villanova, Delaware, uh, Richmond, New Hampshire. Uh, sort of the mainstay names in this league. But I think Elon has done a great job. Three winning seasons in the last five years. Um, three winning conference seasons in the last five years. And certainly if a ball bounces a different way last year in the opener against Wofford, or a ball bounces a different way and a loss to William and Mary early in the year, then maybe it's a seven and four year and maybe it's a six and two uh in the league but losses against villanova at home and at james madison um elon was able to bounce back and i give coach trishiani and his staff a great deal of credit uh for getting that bounce back and then getting the confidence of the wins versus towson and rhode island Taylor, uh, you know, we, we got to ask you about Davis Cheek last year. The, uh, the, Who? The, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. The, the, their star quarterback, of course, uh, no longer with the program. Uh, his replacement, who knows? You're hear, hearing a lot of buzz about Matthew McKay, the Montana State transfer, but you've also got Bauman back there as, as well. So with Cheek out, how much of a blow is that for this team and this program? And uh, what can we expect to see from, from the quarterback at Elon Saturday night, whoever it is? Billy, you ask how much of a blow it is. I will simply answer it this way. If my math is right, and I wasn't a math guy, uh, nine it. ranked team wins uh, by Davis Cheek and in his time as a starter. Um, and a guy who catapulted the win at James Madison in 18, uh, led the Phoenix on an eight-game win streak in 17 as a true freshman uh, that started at Furman, uh, beats the Dukes in Harrisonburg in October, and then seven days later tears an ACL at Delaware and is lost for the year. Uh, that ball club would go to the playoffs and would get beat by Wofford, who, by the way, the Phoenix will see next Saturday night in Spartanburg. But um, Davis came back. 19, he played well. Um, 19, he played well with a younger group around him, uh, younger group offensive line-wise. A lot of the names you see uh, on the depth chart this year kind of cut their teeth in 19. Uh, Jackson Parham, Bryson Daltrey, guys like that, uh, younger guys. And then Davis was set to go. Spring of 20, Davis was set, and he suffered a Liz Frank in February. Uh, that kept them out and came back last year 
and was sensational. Um, he was absolutely sensational um, and certainly was uh, signed by the Panthers as a free agent um, and went to their first camp. And then obviously everybody who reads sports pages and websites knows that when the Panthers traded for a guy in Cleveland and Baker Mayfield, all of a sudden the quarterback room became a little bit too crowded. Uh, but I have no doubt that whatever Davis chooses to do, and I hope and I believe that he'll have an opportunity here in the future, I have no doubt that he will be successful because that's just the kind of guy he is. He was a guy who, Drew Fulmar said it best this past year, he's a guy that elevated the room. And what I mean by that is Davis was a guy that, that dove into the game week preparation. Um, and Davis taught other guys how to prepare. Um, and so a guy like Justin Allen, who saw spot duty in the spring of 20 when the Phoenix were kind of working through, not only does Davis get hurt in February, but Joey Boffman tears an ACL at Gardner-Webb the second game of the spring. And so Justin Allen has to make, I think he made three starts on the year. Uh, but Davis sort of helped the room and helped to elevate the room. Um, I don't think I'm breaking any news here. Uh, Coach talked about this on Monday night. You will see both quarterbacks Saturday. Uh, mm. You will see both quarterbacks. Both of them have earned. How do you feel about that? How do you uh, feel about a two quarterback rotation versus one declared starter? I am perfectly fine with whatever our coaching staff wants to get done. Um, will I'm. I'm a guy that believes that both guys can be successful um, and both guys can uh, find success in this offense. Um, and I think both of them have shown the ability. Everybody, the one thing that I've tried to remind people that are not inside the program or not a fan of the program is Joey Boffman's done a lot of really good things. Um, Joey Boffman closed out a win at Rhode Island in 19. Um, and then led the Phoenix to a comeback win in the spring of 20 and then was playing maybe his best game start to finish in Boiling Springs in that spring when he tore his ACL. Uh, Matthew McKay has had a tremendous time at Montana State, and obviously he was good enough to start at NC State and to start games. And so um, I think both of them understand the system both of them understand what Coach Fulmar would like to get done uh, in the system. Um, they both will have a talented group of wideouts to throw to. Uh, Jackson Parham, Bryson Daltrey, and Chandler Brayboy. Um, and so it'll be one of those things. You beat me uh, to there, the question, question that I think me, yeah, that I was about to ask, which was Vanderbilt knows a little bit about replacing a quarterback, and they still haven't. Have, have pretty much yet to do that since the departure of Kyle Shermer and especially leading into that 2019 season, having a lot of returning talent on offense, much like Elon does this year and this season, but just without a settled quarterback. So I was going to ask about the wide receivers they have returning, but you answered the question there, but I'm sure, uh, I'm sure he what does Elon have? Yeah. What does Elon have uh, returning outside of the quarterback situation that they have, alongside those skill positions. I know they have some talented guys out there. Well, and they've also got the guys that I mentioned earlier, Will, that cut their teeth in 19. 
the guys up front offensively, um, guys like Jabril Williams um, at the right guard spot, uh, Zane Gilbert at the left tackle, Caleb Krings, who played last year as a true freshman, Kevin Burkett, who played last year as a true freshman, and then Mike Purcell gets back into the lineup, uh, the redshirt senior who Elon lost last year midseason to, to an injury against Appalachian State. So really, and it's funny how certain groups on this team parallel um, the group of 17 and 18. Um, 17 and 18 was based on a veteran offensive line. Uh, and a guy, in fact, who's starting on Sundays for the Minnesota Vikings and Ole Udo was one of the younger guys in that group. Uh, but CJ Toogood, Ole Udo, Alex Higgins, uh, names like that up front in 17 and 18. Um, and all of a sudden, you've got that opportunity with this group up front and Andy Marino and his group are, are excited about the possibilities. Well, he should be because taking a look at that offensive line, they uh, they do not lack size. 6'7", 312 at the left tackle spot, 6'3", 305 at left guard, 6'4", 315 at center, 6'1", 310 at right guard, and 6'4", 310 at right tackle. So I think in terms of matching up with Vanderbilt defensively and, you know, it I don't know that they're that they're going to be matching up like a Wake Forest does, but they're going to be matching up better than a Hawaii does. But yes, the size one hundred percent looks more like what closer to what they're going to face the rest of the season than what they faced in Week Zero against Hawaii. Elon much more resembles right. that Wake Forest team that they're going to be playing. It's kind of crazy to see that. And and I was going to ask you about that, Taylor. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know how much of it you were able to watch Vandy in Hawaii, but you know, Hawaii's an FBS team. I mean, that that's, you know, FBS, maybe not high level, but they're an FBS team. How does how does Elon match up with Vanderbilt as opposed to a Hawaii type, a team that is just downtrodden, you know, with with injuries, depth, transfers, whatever? And we uh, say that how, not talking down right, as much as possible. Right. I mean, because we know, completely understand. I mean, we're we're right. not far removed if if not removed at all. Yeah. So, you know, that's based on facts. So uh, but how does Elon match up with, with Vanderbilt as opposed to a team like a Hawaii? Well, I think the one thing that the Warriors are are going through right now, and Will mentioned it at the start, year one of Timmy Chang. Um, and I think that when you go back and watch last Saturday night, uh, the thing that stood out to me, the defensive touchdowns for Vanderbilt in the third quarter just kind of, for lack of a better phrase, took the air out of the room. Um, and it, and I'm sure that it becomes a little bit difficult and a little bit challenging to, when you give up multiple defensive scores, uh, to be able to kind of get back on the horse. Um, I think the thing that Elon uh, would like to have the opportunity to do Saturday, Billy, is to have an opportunity in, in the second half. Um, I think that any FCS team that comes into play, any FBS team understands the mathematics. And what I mean by that is you walk in the door knowing that there's 17 more scholarships on the other side of the football field. And that that simply is the mathematics of the situation. Um, and then I think any FCS team just wants to be able to get to some point in the second half and have an opportunity. And, and, 
if that happens, then you play it for what it is, um, win, lose, draw, and you pack up and get ready for uh, Wofford on next Saturday night in Spartanburg. Taylor, real quick here, really appreciate you visiting uh, visiting us here on the Doorport, uh, and, and obviously happy that you guys are in town. Before we get let you out of here, though, looking at Vanderbilt, you know, put put yourself in Coach Trishiani's shoes, looking at the tape as you throw it in for Vanderbilt. Who are the guys that you know? If you're the head coach, you look at and you say, "How are we going to defend them?" Well, I think the one thing that Coach talked about on Monday during our visit is you can see the impact that Coach Lee has had. Uh, now in his second season. Um, first off, the size, the physicality, what Vanderbilt wants to do offensively and also what they can do defensively. Mike Wright jumps out. It's just simply put a numbers game, and obviously his Saturday night on the big island was very impressive. Guys like Ray Davis and Rocco Griffin, guys that are over 200 pounds and 5'9", and they've got the ability to be guys that can – put their heads down and go get yards. I mean, uh, Billy and Will, uh, I had a guy tell me one time, an old coach told me one time when somebody put up 700 yards on somebody else and like 60 points, and he said, Taylor, I'm going to tell you right now, we can walk out in the parking lot and work against air, and I'm not quite sure we can get to 700 yards and 60 points. Guys, the three of us could walk out this evening to – and I'm not sure we could get the nine yards per carry. Um, <laughs> and that's and that's one of the impressive numbers to me that is the takeaway from Saturday night. And that speaks to the job that, that uh, Vanderbilt did running the football. Um, Elon would obviously like to find a way to slow down the run game. They'd also like to find a way Saturday night to not give up the busted play run. Um, and I thought that was one of the things that really hurt the Warriors at different points on Saturday night, having guys hemmed in. And then all of a sudden you give up Mike Wright on a busted play and um, all of a sudden things are moving in an opposite direction. Well, I don't know if we've had a better opponent preview than that one right there. The voice of the Phoenix, <laughs> Taylor Durham and uh, awesome visit, awesome visit. 96 graduate of Elon University starting his 14th season Saturday night wow. in Nashville. How about that, uh, Taylor Durham? Thanks for taking the time. Uh, enjoy your time in uh, in Nashville Saturday night. Will and I will both be there. I'm, I'm sure you'll be seeing some old friends, but uh, thanks for taking the time. Wonderful. Thanks, guys.